Welcome to The Blind Side. News and information from a blindness perspective. Here's Jonathan Mosen. And this is episode 101. Not a Dalmatian in sight though. It is good to have you with us. And the focus of the podcast today is this long-awaited discussion on home automation. Now we have had a lot of listener feedback on this and so... I will get to my home automation setup and add my own thoughts on this in time, but it is very much user-driven today, at least, and we'll probably have at least two episodes on this home automation topic. Before we get there, I do want to tell you a couple of things. The first is to tell you about my son Richard's podcast. Richard Mosen, if you are a Mushroom FM listener, and you are a Mushroom FM listener, right? You will have heard Richard. He does a show called The Richter Scale on Mushroom FM, which is a classic rock show. And he's also heard during the week with a show called Thunder Road. Now, Richard is actually doing a course in broadcasting. He's like the star of this broadcasting course. He seems to be doing super well. And he's like the golden boy, the golden pupil, which makes me very proud. One of the things he's just started is a podcast. He has to do this for his broadcasting course. It's a component of the course. And when he was telling me about the podcast, he said, you might not enjoy it very much, Dad, because it's quite visual. I said, what is it about? And he said, it's called Cover Act. The idea of the Cover Act podcast is that Richard takes an album that's quite popular and looks at its artwork, the album cover, and describes it and critiques it. And having heard the first episode, because at the time of recording, there's only been one episode of Cover Act released, which looks at the Led Zeppelin album sort of most commonly known as Led Zeppelin 4. The album doesn't actually officially have a title. And he describes the cover, the artwork in Led Zeppelin 4. And this is an album that I've had in my collection most of my life since I've been collecting music. You know, it's an iconic album. Most of us into classic music from the 70s have this album. It's the one with Stairway to Heaven on it. And I had no idea what the album cover looked like. So after hearing the first episode, I said to Richard, I think you've got a market here in the blind community as well as from a general audience who are interested in looking at uh, album artwork because his description of the album cover was so vivid and detailed that I actually gained an appreciation for the album anew because I now understand what the cover art is like. And I thought there might be a lot of people who are into music like me, classic rock and music like that, who might be really interested in tuning in to this podcast. It's not a long one. It only takes about, I think, 10 to 15 minutes per episode. So it's a quick listen, but it's well produced. I'm very proud of him. And uh, I hope you'll give it a listen if you are interested in music and you want to perhaps appreciate some of the uh, artwork on these albums. It is called Cover Act. That is two words. And if you search for Cover Act in all the good podcast apps, I've got it subscribed in Overcast and had no problem doing that, then Cover Act will come up. You'll see that Richard Mosen is the author. And you can also follow Cover Act on Twitter. And every time Richard produces a new episode, it'll be tweeted there. And you can also interact with Richard on Twitter about the episode to discuss it if you like, have a chat with him, maybe suggest albums in future that you would like to see covered by Cover Act. I will provide a link or two in the show notes pertaining to Cover Act. 
If you'd like to subscribe, do give him a listen. I'm sure he'd really appreciate it. He's working hard on the podcast, and I realize I'm a bit biased, but I think he's doing a fantastic job. Also, for completeness, let me tell you that this is the first episode of the Blindside podcast produced with our new studio setup. I've been signaling this for a wee while now. Laptops became increasingly more powerful, and that happened really before the days of cloud storage. And I was doing a lot of travel, and I thought, why try and maintain two computers? And you have to sort of think about which computer is this particular file I want on, and it's just a hassle. And so, many years ago now, many years ago, I went exclusively laptop and just took it everywhere. And in the studio here, I would dock my laptop with various docking stations for laptop devices I've used over the years. Well, as I mentioned when Bonnie was on the blind side a couple of weeks ago, Bonnie is doing a journalism course. She's actually at the same university that Richard's doing his broadcasting course, and they do cross paths from time to time, which is kind of fun. And Richard, to his credit, doesn't think it's too sort of creepy that his stepmom is in the same learning institution as he is, so that's very good for Richard. Anyway, Bonnie is going to be majoring in radio journalism, she's decided. And it really made me think about how we should just make sure that the studio is self-contained with Dropbox and OneDrive and all those other options. Cloud storage means you can keep multiple computers in sync. That's really not a problem anymore. And we have gigabit fiber here, so it all happens in no time at all. And so I sat down with Henry, the wonder son-in-law, and we specked out my dream machine for the studio. It's got oodles of everything. You know, it's, it's very, very fast. It's got lots of RAM and solid-state storage, and it's all water-cooled, so it's quiet. It's got to be very quiet to be in the studio. And we had a bit of a false start with it, actually. I set it up uh, a week and a half ago after flying back from a long trip and was pretty kind of in need of rest, but I decided I'll set this up, got into it, installed JAWS, installed all the software, installed my 1Password, which is a really important part of my computer regimen, and then uh, the broadcasting software and the recording software. And by 3 a.m. on Sunday, it was pretty much in good shape, and I went to bed, woke up again a lot later, switched on the computer, and there was the Windows 10 April update begging for me to install it. So I thought, okay, go for it. Do your thing. Do your thing, Microsoft. And boy, did it do its thing. It uh, tried to install the 2018 update, and it turned this beautifully fast, functional PC into one massive brick. So I called Henry, the wonder son-in-law, and I said, I don't have a lot of time to play with this. I need to revert to my laptop and get some work done. Would you like to take it away and see if you can get to the bottom of why it's turned into this expensive brick? It turns out it was because the BIOS on the computer needed an update. And that without that update, it was bricking itself in quite spectacular ways. I and mean, we couldn't even reinstall Windows from the original media and um, we tried to revert to the previous version before that, and just nothing was working. But when the BIOS was updated, all was sweetness and light, and we are now using this new PC to broadcast with. I'm absolutely delighted with it. It is so fast. And, uh, it, yeah, all computers are fast when you first get them, though, right? And then sort of crud um, descends on them over time. So we'll just have to watch for that. But it's a great machine, and it's nice to be 
broadcasting and recording with it and having it working so well. So welcome from the new machine. Now, speaking of new technology, we are looking ahead to the release of iOS 12 and new hardware from Apple. The first thing I want to tell you is that just as we did last year, we are not taking pre-orders for iOS 12 without the eye, but the book is written and we will be releasing iOS 12 without the eye, which is, for those who don't know, a comprehensive guide to iOS from a blindness perspective. We've been doing this since iOS 7. And every year, it's not a how to use your iPhone guide. It's specifically a how to make the most of the new features in iOS from a blindness perspective guide. And we do this, and it's a really popular title, and we appreciate everybody's support. I know there's a lot of interest in it. We publish it in EPUB versions and PDF, and also eventually it'll be published in Braille and other formats by National Braille Press, and we're certainly grateful for them cooperating with us on this project. iOS 12 without the eyes page is now up. You can't buy it yet, you can't order it yet, but you can see the kind of things that are in it. And if you would like to know more, then you can go to mosen.org, that's M-O-S-E-N.org slash iOS 12. That's mosen.org slash iOS 12. When you are on the Mosen Consulting website, do be sure to make sure that you are subscribed to the Mosen Consulting announcements list. It's really low traffic and we send material when there are new things to tell you about from Mosen Consulting. And we will send an announcement out the moment that iOS 12 without the eye goes live. So you can order it and have it there to guide you through the installation of iOS 12 and getting to grips with all of the new features that you'll find. I'm feeling very optimistic at this point about iOS 12. The beta testing process has been pretty robust and rigorous, and uh, hopefully it'll be one of the less eventful upgrades in terms of bugs and problems for voiceover users for some years. So that's a good thing. Also, of course, new iPhones coming and possibly other things as well. As we record this, the date hasn't been officially announced by Apple, but we are anticipating that it will be the 12th of September. We will be doing a follow-up podcast right after that announcement where we will be covering all of the things that Apple told you about. Again, Heidi will be joining us as well as a couple of other experts. So you'll get some visual descriptions of things that might not have been described adequately orally at the Apple event. Now, if you are a subscriber to the Daily Fiber Premium Podcast, this is the podcast that Mosin Consulting produces every weekday with about 15 to 20 minutes of technology news of the day, then you will be given exclusive access to a live stream of our Apple recap. All you need to do to get access to it is subscribe to the Daily Fiber. It costs just $5 a month. You can pay with any major credit card or PayPal. You'll get that technology news delivered to you every day. We send you an email the moment that it's published. You can also subscribe in your podcast client of choice. It's a really informative bulletin. People seem to like it. And then you will get also an email closer to the event, giving you access to a link which will allow you to tune in live to the recording of the Blindside podcast. That's just an additional perk for Daily Fiber premium subscribers. And there's going to be a lot of interest to talk about at this next Apple event. Our place, our issues. The Blindside with Jonathan Mosen. 
And most of the comments that we're going to go through today are pertaining to home automation, but there are one or two others. And here's one from Penny Reader who says, Jonathan, just a quick email to say thank you to you and your guest for the excellent coverage of the changes that are coming to Twitterific. I learned to use Twitter using Twitterific. I have attempted using Twitter itself, but have found it clunky and less than satisfactory. I am sorry to see these changes coming to an app that I enjoy, but feel somewhat relieved to know that most of the ways I enjoy using Twitterific will continue to be available after all the changes anticipated for next week, which of course have now happened. Jonathan, it's always a pleasure to listen to The Blind Side. Please don't ever stop addressing the issues important to all of us in a fair and comprehensive and enjoyable way. Thank you so much, Penny. Really appreciate that. Here's a comment from Philip Chalker in Australia. He says about guide dog ownership here in Australia, seeing iDogs makes us sign a contract to allow us to have full claim of the dog after five years. The contract says that they can also remove the dog at any time if it's been mistreated. So thanks, Philip. Sounds like that's kind of ownership without really ownership. And it sounds like a similar model to what's going on in the United Kingdom as well. We really enjoy getting your feedback, and if you would like to offer some about anything you hear on the Blindside podcast, there are two ways in which you can do it. One, you can drop me an email, and then there's 1.1. It could have an audio attachment, or 1.2. You could just write something down. Either is fine, and you can email to theblindside at mosen.org. That's theblindside at mosen.org. And the second way is to phone us on the feedback line. That number is 719-270-5114. That's in the United States, 719-270-5114. So let's take a look for the rest of the episode and beyond at home automation. I think this is a really exciting area for blind people. And I know it's something that we've been talking about for a long, long time. When I started Blindline even, and then later after Blindline main menu, we would talk to people like Greg van der Heiden from the Trace Research Center in Wisconsin. Neil Ewers and I were talking about Greg's work a few weeks ago. And even then, we were talking about the concept of how there might be some device that could act as a conduit to our appliances to make them accessible. And luckily, as often happens, mainstream solutions have come along that really make the point that sometimes when there are accessibility benefits to be gained, everybody gains from them. Now, home automation is really a thing. It can be a little bit complicated in the sense that there is no universal standard for home automation that has yet to emerge. Now, there are some things that are emerging. And if you've been a subscriber to The Daily Fiber, you know that we've been talking about this in the context of Apple having recently joined a new home automation group. Because one of the big frustrations is trying to make sure that you get home automation devices that are compatible with all the ecosystems you choose to dabble in. Primarily, Apple's HomeKit, Amazon Alexa, and of course, Google's home automation solution. So it can be tricky to find something that will work with all the things that you have. And sometimes you have to make a bit of a judgment call about, is it more important for a particular solution to work with one thing in this particular instance? I have not in the New Zealand market, for example, yet found a smart plug that works with both HomeKit and Amazon Alexa, which is the two that we've gone with. 
So it's a fun business, and hopefully we will be able to decode some of these mysteries over the next couple of episodes, but also give you some practical demonstrations about where this technology can actually be really useful and enhance your quality of life, which is what it's all about. Here's an email to start us off from Heather Walkers, who writes, Home automation I am a fan of, especially for the disability community. I am an assessor of universal design and accessibility, so I spend too much time researching things that can be helpful. Myself, I love home automation until the Wi-Fi goes down due to a fire. Ever since I heard the Starship Enterprise computer years ago, I wanted one for my home. I have less time ahead of me than behind me, so I make my own personal choices based on that, and I live alone and have a guide dog. I am currently in between dogs. I assess products based on cost, usability, and need. Do I really need every bell and whistle advertised to get done what I need to get done? Is it closer to universally designed or is it just gimmicky? What is the balance I want between safety, convenience and ease of use? Can I use the item as a person who has gained blindness without the Wi-Fi easily? How many different companies will I be getting products from and can I use one app or do I need 10 That's why testing is so important. I would love to do a podcast every two months or so and do a review on a product from a user who is blind's point of view. I write the companies to get a product to test drive, but I have no profile, so I end up in stores for hours or order them and send them back, which is not a good way to test drive on a regular basis. I started with Wemo light switches and plugs in the entire house. They replaced two of the motion-detecting switches I had just for my dog so he could see when entering a room. I can turn on and off the lights at set times, or randomly when away as well, but they weren't connected to Wi-Fi. I find the demo app has issues and then transferred to the Apple HomeKit once it was available. But Siri and I have issues as I am not always near my iPhone when I need to turn something on. I wanted to stay in the Apple environment, however the cost and not-so-great operation of the HomePod made me rethink that. I finally decided on the Amazon Echo Plus and a few Echo Dots. I wanted the Plus as it has a built-in hub that automatically finds all your devices regardless of brand and sets up your system to talk. Not much work at all, and with the cheaper Dots, I can talk anywhere in my home and things happen. I waited until they went on sale at half price before I could justify that purchase. I'm thinking ahead here, as I'm not only blind, I also have MS, and I'm thinking about keeping my independence as long as I am alive. So having a hub that can encompass many different companies' devices easily is what I am thinking about for the future. My next research has been on Wi-Fi controlled ceiling fans. The Hunter Company have ones with a module in them that works with HomeKit. However, they start at $300. They have not been all that reliable, and the one I tested had many communication issues. However, iDevices Company is coming out later this year with a wall rocker switch that will operate your ceiling fan and any light in it. It replaces the switch that comes with the fan. I'm trying to get information to see if it will also work the three speeds most fans have and reverse the rotation for winter and summer. 
So far, I do not know if it will work with the fans that use remotes. iDevices is also coming out this year with a switch to plug your electric car into. Now, if those cars self-drive, it might be worth looking into. So the fan switch will be around $100, and a fan can start at $50 and up. So it's a useful and less expensive alternative and will work with Apple, Amazon Echo, and Google Home. iDevices also has some excellent light switches that work with three- and four-point switches, which the Wemos do not. I have a Philips Hue light bulb, which has the Wi-Fi module in it and works with the three mentioned devices. For someone wanting to just turn on and off lights using Wi-Fi, this is the lowest cost alternative to the other options of changing out all the wall switches. GE has a new Wi-Fi microwave that went on the market two weeks ago. I haven't been able to get my hands on it yet. However, according to the specs, it works with all three setups. However, the error is they're not building these devices with universal design in mind, and this has the dreaded cheap digital interface. So if you are blind and want to use it and your Wi-Fi is down, it's back to the plastic dots. This is a big failing of what is being planned and being produced at the moment. People who have gained deafness are being left out of the voice-controlled home environment completely. The light switches are the only ones that work easily manually. Everything else has digital interfaces. There are several Wi-Fi microwaves coming on the market within the year, so it'll be interesting if they take off. The current GE one is $139.99 on Amazon, with an Echo Dot for $15 extra when you purchase one time limited. There are a few regular ovens coming in the next year that are Wi-Fi connected, but they are all electric. They are also not induction burners, so the accidental burn factor and inability to change temperature quickly is still not there. I personally like gas stoves as I can hear the flame and can easily change the level, and it's immediately responsive. The stove I have has an oven door with side hinges, so they open sideways, and I'm not reaching over a hot oven door. Front dials, so no reaching over the burners, and nothing digital at all. Very low tech, and very safe. I do not feel the need for a Wi-Fi stove. GE, with their new cafe fridge that is Wi-Fi controlled, has a Keurig coffee maker attached to a hot water line within the fridge. I have a non-Wi-Fi, non-Keurig model, with the hot water ability where the ice cubes are. You have to set it to heat the water, and you get a cup of hot water in a few minutes. I personally like this, as it removes the safety issue of pouring hot water. The washer and dryers I have not had too much to do with yet. I have dial ones that work well with plastic buttons. However, it's that digital interface that makes using Wi-Fi almost necessary with the many options they pile into these devices. Plastic dots don't keep up with the wide variety of ways to wash and dry clothing. That rock in the river worked fine as a kid, and not much else has changed, has it? The other items I have tried is Wi-Fi connected slow cookers and coffee machines, which helped as everything is digital interface, which is a pain. For some things like lamps and floor fans, you can use a plug-in device and have that on-off controlled through Wi-Fi for around $40. Home security devices are all video monitored, 
and I have not found them all that useful. The idea of a good, activated one from movement that alerts me non-visually and that I can yell at the person, or deer, or raccoon, or skunk, is not yet very reliable, and I have not found one yet, but you never know. Maybe I need to go to the convention in Los Angeles next January and start raising hell. Several years ago, I tried the Hunter monitored window shades via Wi-Fi, but didn't find them very responsive. It was early days of home automation, but given the Hunter ceiling fans of today, they seem to be wanting to cash in without doing the R&D work other companies are doing. I did try Wi-Fi locks with thumbprint options, but up until a year and a half ago, they were very easy to hack. Maybe it's time to check the new ones again. With every company looking at ways to use Wi-Fi controlled devices, there is junk and some good products out there. I wake up in the morning and say good morning and Echo starts some music. I have a Prime account, so that works out okay. However, I also have an Apple Music subscription which will not work with Echo, so there is still some push and shove between proprietary systems. And quite honestly, for the majority of people who are blind in Canada, these devices and subscriptions, combined with the cost of internet and a smartphone, make the smart home out of reach for 80% of blind people living with no jobs under the poverty line. So until they really have the integrated Starship Enterprise computer compatibility with my guide dog lifestyle and with the much-needed food replicator, it's still a maze out there. Putting together a smart home takes money, thought, research and a large push from the disability community to make products that are universally designed. Where there is a need to be independent, then these items should be supplied as a form of healthcare devices. Technology is only as good as the people designing them. As with everything else, if we're not at the table as decision makers, we will continue to be on the menu. Hi Jonathan, this is Graham Innes for Sydney, Australia. And may I start by saying thank you for putting this podcast together. I'm really looking forward to listening to it. And I think it's great to have the input from people uh, around the world who are using uh, smart things, smart devices. I am currently in Chicago in the United States where we've been visiting our son and daughter-in-law and uh, we're on our way now to Canada to do some further travel. So I'm recording this in an airport lounge and I don't intend to do a demonstration of any of the uh, smart apps that we use. But I thought it might be useful to just quickly go through the use cases that we have uh, in our home. Most of these things that I've uh, talked about, I've had some input into the installation of, although my uh, wife, Maureen, is more of a techie than I am, so she has uh, done uh, probably the majority of the installation. Um, But once they're they're connected to the home kit, I'm, uh, in most cases, with a few exceptions that I'll tell you about, I'm able to control them uh, independently. So I want to start with lights. Uh, we have put um, smart globes through our uh, house 
and uh, the things that we do with them is that uh, I've set up a number of scenes which uh, I have a scene which uh, turns off all lights at a particular time uh, at night so that I can be confident uh, that at that particular time at night I think it's 11.32 uh, that all the lights in the house will, will go out um, we just have to watch that a little bit because if someone's up late uh, they can end up in the dark but uh, most people who are staying in our house are connected through uh, to the home app uh, so they're able to just turn the light back on. Um, we have another scene which automatically turns lights on at sunset so I don't even have to think about uh, the lights um, because we've automated those two processes but I can turn lights on and off and determine uh, the status of the lights through my phone or through the HomePod. And often, if I'm going to bed earlier than 11.32, and I'm the only one in the house, or there's a room that you know we're not using, we'll just turn the light off in that room uh, independently, and we can do that through our phones. The other great uh, use case for the smart globes uh, is uh, for security. Um, I can, uh, when I'm arriving home in a taxi, or if I know someone's going to arrive at the house uh, at night time, uh, we can turn on our security lights, which are smart globes, and uh, we can then direct the taxi driver to the uh, house that, where the lights are on. And we have an upstairs and a downstairs. We're in a townhouse. So I'm able to say it's the house with the two lights, one above the other, uh, on the upstairs and downstairs balcony. And it's a very nice marker to direct uh, taxis and to provide light for anyone who is um, arriving at the house. All of these lights we can control uh, remotely so what I tend to do is when I'm a few blocks away in the taxi I turn the lights on, the security lights, and then when I get inside uh, I turn them off. We have a Schlage door lock on our front door which means that we can open the door again uh, remotely or we can give someone a code which is uh, current for a particular period of time, might be one hours or uh, two hours or it might be you know seven days uh, the the keypad on the on the door lock is not the buttons are not well defined so I tend not to use that um, but certainly um, I'm able uh, to open the door on my phone or again I can uh, open it uh, remotely if we have someone at the door uh, who we want to let in, you know, friends, uh, a cleaner or a, uh, a courier. Um, we also have a camera in the living area of the house, the downstairs area of the house. We certainly haven't put them in the bathrooms or bedrooms, you'll be pleased to hear. But, um, uh, and, and we can combine that with a door so that if someone's delivering a package which uh, needs to go inside, uh, they can uh, contact us. Uh, we can turn on the camera and the camera has audio through it so we can talk to them uh, through the camera and if Maureen is uh, dealing with the process then she can uh, visually monitor them as well. We haven't uh, put a doorbell in uh, on the front door but we're thinking about uh, doing that. Um, we also have a padlock, uh, a smart padlock in the garage which works in a similar way. So again we can send someone a code for that lock if we want someone to get something out of our garage or uh, leave something in our garage um, or I can open or uh, I can open that lock using my um, smartphone. 
We haven't used a lot of smart switches, um, but we have used some. We have uh, one on our uh, washing machine so that once the cycle of the machine is finished, we can, um, if we've left the, the house, we can turn the switch off, uh, which means that you know the, the machine is not draining power. It's, uh, it's turned off by the switch. Um, and we're starting to put them on things like electric blankets. Um, we, don't, uh, we don't have other devices that uh, we want to be able to effectively turn on and off by a, uh, a smart switch at the wall switch, so we haven't used uh, smart switches that much. Um, turning to sound now, uh, we have Sonos uh, speakers uh, throughout our house, and unlike you, Jonathan, I, I haven't yet uh, won the debate about having a Sonos speaker in the bathroom, so I'm slightly envious of you in that respect, um, but we do have them all in all of our uh, other rooms and when we buy one of the new Sonos uh, components which is a smart speaker we'll uh, be able to control that using AirPlay uh, through the HomePod or uh, via our, our phones and we also uh, we already have a HomePod and so we can um, control music on the HomePod uh, either by speaking to it or, um, or through our phones. Uh, we also have a, a Google Mini um, because the Google searching facility is uh, uh, is clearly better at the moment than the Apple uh, facility, and so we use that to to do searches about you know, train times, um, weather forecasts, news, and various. Uh, facts and pieces of information uh, that we might be discussing uh, that we want to know about or where there's a, a disagreement. Um, Google has now become our umpire of choice. Uh, we use Dyson uh, machines for uh, heat and air conditioning and air purification. Um, the Dyson app is I think still not accessible. Uh, I actually lodged a discrimination complaint uh, about the Dyson app in Australia about 18 months or two years ago and they have promised accessibility and it is improving um, but I don't think it's there yet so that I can use it uh, independently. Uh, I currently use the Dyson uh, machines which do a really good job of heating and cooling and air purification um, using the remote control but I'm looking forward to uh, being able to, to use that on the, the app. So um, that's a, a brief run through of the um, use cases. I'm sorry about all the, the noise of uh, trolleys and uh, uh, crockery in the background. As I said, I'm in an airport lounge, so I'll stop now. But I'm really looking forward to hearing the podcast and all of the other use cases by many of your other listeners. Thank you, Graham. Safe travels. Here's Paul Hendrickson, and he says, I have an Ecobee smart thermostat. That app is now completely accessible on the iPhone, not sure about Android. Every aspect of the thermostat is totally accessible from the app, so you can set all features. The Ecobee is also controlled via Siri or Alexa. I tend to use Alexa more. I can ask her to tell the Ecobee to increase or decrease the temperature, or even tell the Ecobee that I am cold or hot, and it will adjust the thermostat accordingly. My Chamberlain garage door can be controlled via Siri. I can open or close the door and even ask if the door is open or closed in case we leave home and I forgot whether I closed it. If someone in my family opens the garage door, I am alerted through my phone or Apple Watch. I've recently installed a Ratio sprinkler controller, which I can control with Alexa. For some reason, Ratio doesn't work on HomeKit yet. The iPhone app is fairly accessible. I was able to set up a watering schedule without sighted help, 
and I can check each watering zone by starting it from the phone to make sure the sprinklers are functioning correctly. One reason I purchased the Ratio is that if it is raining, the lawn won't be watered. I don't have to try and remember which way to turn the knob to turn the system off in case of rain. It gets that information from the internet. I have a ring doorbell, which tells me when someone approaches the door and allows me to talk with someone at the door if they ring the bell without opening the door. I know you have one of these. I have two hue lights, mainly for my wife's use. She just wanted the non-coloured ones so she could control the bedroom lights without having to get out of bed. However, it's nice to be able to ask Alexa if a light is on in a given room or to turn that light on or off. Hello, Jonathan. This is Harwood West in Greensboro, North Carolina. About your home automation, I recently bought four smart plugs made by a home improvement company in the United States called Lowe's Home Improvement. The switches are called IRIS smart switches. It's I-R-I-S. I had these things hooked up, and we had a brief power failure. Well, the Google Home Mini or my phone would not recognize the switches anymore. So they could not be activated. If you use the push button on the switch, uh, they worked fine, but there was absolutely no Wi-Fi access anymore. These switches did not have to have a hub. They were standalone. Their other line, or the rest of their line, has multiple things, probably over 100 different things you can do. And most of them use a hub. Well, I was seriously thinking about buying a hub. But anyway, since these switches didn't work, I called their helpline and told a woman what had happened. And I said, um, you know, these things quit after a brief power fail. Oh, well, yes, they, they do that. Um, I said, I have to be able to access these things from a remote location and if this happens while I'm gone I'm kind of in a mess well when you get home all you have to do is to repair these things and and, um, reprogram it I said lady I'm at another location and it is very important I be able to access these switches well uh, you would need to go on our blog, and if enough people complain about this, we will look into the issue. And I thought to myself, lady, you're the tech support, and I just complained to you. Um, why aren't you doing something about it? Now, what I'm getting around to is, I'm sure this doesn't affect all of these systems, and it surely probably doesn't affect yours, but it might be a question to ask. Just imagine there's a power failure in the summertime at your location, and you have to reprogram everything in your house. Not to mention the fact that what has happened, the Google Mini was working fine with this, and the phone, my iPhone. Now, neither one will recognize this. 
Um, you can see the switches on the phone, but you can't do anything with them. And many said the the Google Mini says uh, they have absolutely uh, no information about this at all. Uh, so it doesn't even recognize the system. So anybody that's looking at at a deal like this needs to ask the right questions. Thank you, Howard. That's a cautionary tale and a very important one because this technology is fantastic when it works right. (laughs) When it doesn't, it can be the source of enormous frustration. Here is Christopher Wright. He says, I love the topic of home automation. It has the potential to make many gadgets that were previously very difficult for a blind person to use extremely useful. My goal one of these days is to have every appliance in my home network connected and blind accessible. I don't have many devices currently. I have a Wemo smart plug and four from a company called Maros. I presume it's pronounced Maros and not Maros. They're great for lamps and fans, but that's about it. They won't work if the device requires you to push a button to turn it on. My parents bought the original Ring video doorbell back in November, and it's a fantastic product for a blind person. I get alerts when motion is detected or if someone rings the doorbell. The ability to have a two-way conversation and know who is at the door is wonderful. Having said that, I have a few complaints about the device. It is not possible to receive alerts on the Amazon Echo or Google Home when the bell rings or motion is detected. This is another feature that would be handy for a blind person. The audio quality is terrible. I assume most of the time and effort went into the camera, which isn't surprising. However, Ring could have done a much better job with the audio. As an owner, I agree with that, Christopher, very strongly, and uh, I'll do a demo of it when it comes to my turn to talk about my home automation setup in a future episode. The device, he continues, can only be used with Amazon Alexa and Google Assistant devices that have a screen. I understand why this is the way it is, but it would be nice to at least hear the live audio feed on an Echo or Google Home speaker. I would also like to send audio to the ring via the microphones on the speaker so I can conduct the two-way conversation without lifting a finger. Maybe Amazon will listen to us and add these enhancements if enough people request them. As I said in the beginning, I absolutely love the idea of home automation. I'll one day control my washing machine, dryer, stove, microwave, thermostat, lights and other appliances using my voice or a program on a computer. There will be no reason to label inaccessible controls with dots or memorize dial positions anymore. Hi Jonathan, it's Derry Lala here. Hope you're keeping well, all the way from Ireland. So today I'm going to show you what we have done in our home with the um, the different apps. We have the front doorbell, which is the Ring video doorbell from Ring Pro. I think it's now on Amazon. And we have the Nest thermostat to heat our home. The Philips Hue lighting for three three bulbs at the moment just in our sitting room, our, our, our office, our living room and our bedroom, and two TP, three TP-linked uh, CASA plugs. We've all synced to the Google Home and uh, the Alexa, so I'm going to be using those um, lovely words at the moment. So for the Nest, which I've called just downstairs, so that's where it is, so I can say, hey Google, set temperature downstairs to 23 degrees. 
Okay, setting the downstairs to 23 degrees. So that's 23 degrees centigrade, so uh, it's now set there. So I'm just turning it off. Hey Google, set downstairs to 15 degrees. Sure, setting the downstairs to 15 degrees. Now, that's using the, um, that's using the uh, Google Home. We can also use the app. Um, Social fold, OCR, fantastical, my home fold, my home fold. I have a my home folder, my home. and in there Nest. I have my Nest app. So we Nest. Nest. And do a four-finger tap at the bottom. Downstairs thermostat. And it's a downstairs, downstairs thermostat. Back button. Target temperature, 15 degrees C, adjustable. So you can adjust it with your up and down flicks at 15, 60, whatever temperature you want. It's very simple, it's called Nest. It has it hooked up to the to our boiler, our gas, central heating, so you can, there's no AC now, so in the summertime it gets hot and you, you get too hot, there's no cooling, it's just for heating, and it heats the water as well. The next thing is our, our lighting, so you can just say to 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 Google or the A-Lady, uh, turn on the sitting room light, turn on the front room light, turn on the office light, turn on the lamps, and that's on and off, and that's easily done. You can also ask to adjust the brightness from uh, from 0 to 100%. That's done very well. Or you can also change the colour with the Philips Hue. You can say, um, hey Google, turn office light on. Right, turning on the office. Hey Google, set office to blue. Okay, changing the office to blue. Now, I don't know why you'd want the blue light, but there you go. Hey Google, set office to silver. Okay, changing the office to silver. And just to, for completeness, hey Google, hey Google, turn off office. Sure, turning off the office. Oh, that's just the lights, not the whole office. But anyway, so that's the lighting. That's pretty straightforward. And the next thing is our ring doorbell. Superscript heat set to. Um, now the ring doorbell. Ring. Recently to Ring. Recently is a bit tricky, but uh, and it's a ours is hard. It's supposed to be hardwired. It's not charging the way it was. Favorite event um, button. <laughs> ring doorbell. So I'm going to get my wife to ring the doorbell and see if we can answer it. So I'm going to pause my recording now. And Mark's going to go out the front. And we ring the bell. One second now, and just pause this. Now we have a chime in the sitting room, so it'll ring in the sitting room as well, so we can hear it if we're not near. So you're not. Ring bell. Someone at your front door. Set up device. Selected. Away. Button. Ring. Button. Motion. Button. Start. Button. Front door. Start. Button. Selected. Start. Selected. Start. But possible text. Selected. Motion. Ring. Button. Away. Button. Set up device. Chime, live it, ring doorbell, 29 Grove Park, hamburger, men, hamburger menu icon. Now that's hamburger changed. Menu icon. Move to row 1 of 1, selected, start 5.2.1, log out. Help. Account. Set up a device. Okay, I'm going to ask my wife to come in. So I couldn't answer the doorbell there because the app has slightly changed, uh, so I need to get familiarized with the app again. So um, that's a, a fail, if you like, <laughs> a small fail, but I'll get to know that again. But that's what we've done to our home, Jonathan. We've just changed the heating and the lighting, and also on the bus, we're on our way home from work in the evening time, especially in the autumn and winter time, it gets dark early. We can turn the lights on from the bus and the heating. So when we get home, our house is nice and warm and uh, lit the way we want it. G'day, everyone. 
This is Damo McMorrow with a quick demonstration of the Sensibo Sky Smart Air Conditioner Remote. So for the, your reference, Sensibo is spelled S-E-N-S-I-B-O. And I've got two of these units, one to control my bedroom air conditioner, which is a small Panasonic reverse cycle unit, and one to control my lounge room one, which is also a Panasonic. This particular unit, though, is fairly universal. Uh, so you can use it with more or less any aircon unit or heat pump, as some people call them, that has a remote. And as part of the setup process, you point your remote at the Sensibo device and hit the power button. And from that, the device can tell what type of remote you have. So basically what it does is it, it replaces your existing remote control. So it sends inf infrared signals to the air conditioner the same as your conventional remote would. For that reason, you need to have it within sort of line of sight of the aircon unit so that uh, it can still send infrared signals to it. The device itself is fairly small. It's probably about the size of a MiFi box, if you've seen one of those, a little bit smaller than a pocket hard drive. It has an adhesive section on the back so that you can stick it to the wall, and it's got a micro USB connector which provides power. There's no switches or buttons or anything on the device itself. There are a number of different ways you can control it. You can control it through your Google Home device. I haven't tried it with uh, Amazon Alexa because I don't have one. You can also control it through the iPhone app, an Android app, or the Sensibo website. Now, there are a couple of accessibility things to be aware of. So the iPhone app, there are a couple of unlabeled buttons and things like the fan level adjustment and the mode adjustment don't work particularly well with voiceover. So I tend to use the Sensibo website interface if I want to change the fan levels or the mode, so from heating to cooling, etc. The one thing I do use the app for, which is quite nice, is scheduling. So you can have the units turn on and off at particular times. And you can also set up geofencing. So for example, you can have it tied to your phone so that when you're within 10 kilometers of home, the aircon will switch on or um, you can have it work the other way. So if the aircon's on, you can have it switch off when you get 5Ks away from home in case you've left the unit on. You can also set up a climate react so you can have it switch on, for example, if the temperature climbs above or falls below a certain level. So it's quite good and you can interrogate a few things with it from the Google Home. So we'll just do a quick demo of that. Hey Google, turn on the bedroom AC. Sure, turning on the bedroom AC. And the unit is now on. We can also do things like, hey Google, what is the bedroom temperature? So we can see what the current temperature is. If we look at it through the web interface, we can get a few other details. So for example, so that's my lounge room one. So that's the humidity figure. You, you can't get that from Google, I don't think. And there's a turn on button. Mode, temperature, fan level, and the climate react. And then we have the same if I scroll down for the bedroom AC.
the app, as I said, there are a couple of things that don't work. The power on and off buttons are unlabeled, and I have reported this to Sensibo. And also the you can activate the mode or the um, fan level buttons, but you can't actually choose a setting. So as I said, it's best to do that from within the website, and I only use the app if I want to set up a schedule or geofencing or that type of thing. You can of course check your aircon remotely so from work I can make sure the aircon is on and that it's uh, at the right temperature and so on as well. So they're quite a versatile unit they're fairly easy to set up. A couple of little limitations you need to be aware of. Firstly it only works on 2.4 gigahertz wireless and if you're using an Apple Airport Extreme as I am the Wi-Fi network, if you're using the same SSID, it'll show up twice and you sort of have to take potluck as to which one's the 2.4 and which one's the 5. So even though your iPhone only sees it as one SSID, the Sensivo app seems to see it as, as see both SSIDs, but it can only connect to one of them. So that took me a little while to work out. There is a QR code on each device which you have to scan uh, which tells the app which device you have and that type of thing. That can be a little bit of a pain to scan in low light. But the first one I had scanned perfectly well. The second one I ended up calling Ira and getting them to read the QR code to me and I put it into the app manually so that it, you always have that option. The QR code is located on the back of the unit near the micro USB socket. Other than that, it works extremely well. I haven't had any real problems with it. As I said, you, you, when you set it up, you scan the QR code, you join it to your Wi-Fi network, you give it a name, and then you point your remote that came with your air conditioner at it and press the power button, and from that it can work out what type of remote you have. And that's all it really is to getting it set up and working. If you have any questions, feel free to send me an email to demo. D-A-M-O at mcmorrow.net.au or you can check out the device itself at sensibo, S-E-N-S-I-B-O dot com. Now that I've turned that on, it's getting a little bit warm in here. So, hey Google, turn off the bedroom AC. Sure, turning the bedroom AC off. And it's as easy as that. You can also say things like, hey Google, set the bedroom AC to 23 degrees. All right, setting the bedroom AC to 23 degrees. And you can select the mode, I believe, from Google. I haven't tried it. I tend to just do it from the app. Uh, you don't have control of things like the fan level, though. So that's it, folks. I hope you found it useful. If you have any problems with yours, let me know. Or if you've got any other uh, comments or feedback, I'd be interested uh, in hearing from you. Bye for now. Thank you, Damo, and thanks everybody else who's contributed to this episode. We have quite a bit more home automation material to go through, and so we will leave that for another episode. Episode 102 next week we will continue this series on home automation. And if you would like to contribute, if you haven't got a contribution in yet, and this episode has inspired you to tell the audience, all the thousands of people every week that listen to The Blind Side, about what you are doing with home automation, experiences both good and bad are welcome, then by all means be in touch. Let me remind you of how to do that. You can drop an audio file, which is probably preferred in this case because the demos are great. So if you can record an audio file and either send me a link where it's stored on a cloud service or attach the audio file if it's not too long, you can do all of that. The blind side at mosen.org is the email address. That's the blind side at mosen.org 
or you can just write it down if that's easier for you. Feel free and I'll do my best to read it out. And the feedback line is available as well. That number is in the United States and it is 719-270-5114. That's 719-270-5114. We have additional gadgets and things to talk about in this next part of the series of uh, home automation episodes that'll be next week in the Blindside 102. Thanks for listening to The Blind Side, a production of Mosin Consulting. On the web at mosin.org.